Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, January the 17th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the last of the roster building series, the 10 part series. We'll stop by my favorite position on a football field, the safeties, and a possible ground up rebuild at that position. Plus, another obscure coaching hire will introduce you to linebackers coach Anthony. Campanelli and what that might mean for Robbie Leonard, plus your Twitter questions, all of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. It would be huge if you did that. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL Voted, the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, where you can find all these written previews, as well as the Senior Bowl preview coming up here this coming week. That's another Miami Dolphins. We've got another coaching hire to introduce, and yet again, it's a guy that most of us have never heard of. Anthony Campanelli, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, was recently the linebackers coach at Michigan, and now he joins Brian Flores' staff to be the next in a line of unknown coaches to join the staff this offseason. And it's understandable to have concerns because you don't know what you don't know. And I mean, there's always a chance that these decisions blow up in a coach's face one way or the other. Look at what Sean McVay just did with Los Angeles. He replaced Wade Phillips the most known defensive coach maybe in the history of the league for a guy that was completely off the radar and had only coordinated a defense in the past at James Madison, the Division II powerhouse. And this is the second linebackers coach the Dolphins have added along with Austin Clark. And it makes me think that current incumbent linebackers coach Robbie Leonard could have his days numbered. He was a linebackers coach here last year and his connection was to Patrick Graham previously of the Giants staff. So I can't imagine they keep three linebackers coaches on staff. So that would mean Leonard is the one to go. We've introduced you to Clark, Brown, Kuntz, Gailey, and Marshall. Let's get a quick intro here on Campanelli. Again, hope I got that pronunciation right. He's from Jersey, so I assume it is. The big news that everyone has pointed to is that he turned down a chance to become the defense of coordinator at Rutgers, which, I mean, I don't think that's a hard choice. A Big Ten doormat or the NFL? Duh, take the NFL. And he did. But what I found most interesting, he's a Rutgers alum. He played ball there. That's got to be tough to say no to, and yet he did. And his brother is also on that staff as well. So he played for the Scarlet Knights from 2001 to 2004. Then he started his career as a linebackers coach in high school. Then he coached a year on defense at Don Bosco Prep, one of the premier high school programs in all of America. Then after three years on the defensive side, he took over as the offensive coordinator. He did that for two years, then got the call to go back to Rutgers as a defensive assistant. After one year, he earned a promotion to an official job. He took the receiver and tight end coach job there where he coached Tyler Croft and Leonte Carew, two NFL players, under his watch at a program that, let's be honest, especially at receiver and tight end, does not produce NFL players. Then he left for Boston College, which of course we all know is Brian Flores' alma mater. And that got me wondering if that's what Flores, or if that's when Flores rather, caught wind of this fast riser up the coaching ranks. He spent two years as the defensive backs coach, then got a promotion 
to maintain his defensive backs room, but also be the co-defensive coordinator. And at BC, in that DB's room, he coached Isaac Yadam, Hamp Cheevers, John Johnson, who was a hell of a safety for the Rams, and Lucas Dennis. So three years there, four NFL players. And then last year in 2019 was his first and only year as the Michigan linebackers coach. And now he, of course, is in Miami. And it makes me wonder if Flores had his eye on, on Campanelli while Flores was still with the Patriots, knowing that his head coaching chance was coming down the pipeline. And it makes me wonder if he had been scouting these prospects for a long time. Because as we know, he's hiring guys he's never worked with before. And that just doesn't happen in the league. And since we know about his meticulous nature with the NFL Transaction Board in New England and his consequent unrelenting roster turnover this season with Miami, is there any doubt that he knows the assistant coaching landscape across America as in-depth as anybody? I don't know, man. I know this is a pretty positive Dolphins podcast for the most part, but I think this coach, Brian Flores, that is, just straight up dominates at everything he does, and I don't know if he ever has time to sleep. Full trust and confidence in this head coach. We have a couple more minutes here before our first break. Let's take a few of your questions before we jump into the safety preview on the next side of the podcast. And we start here with a question from Manuel Mendoza at History Nerd 10. Trav, you are generally optimistic about the Dolphins and what they are doing. A perfect segue from the previous segment. With that being said, who are three picks in the first round that you would hate to see them make at each pick? And then you ask, which would lead you to question what they are doing? Players likely available at all three picks. Well, actually, there's a good transition here to a conversation I had with Kyle Krabs. You guys all know him, the Draft Network. He hosts the Dolphins podcast as well, Fin It to Win It, another great Dolphins podcast out there. And he and I talked about Justin Herbert as a player we don't particularly care for. But if the Dolphins drafted him, we both agreed that Miami would do it with a plan in place to develop that kid and put him in the right position to succeed. So really, quite frankly, I just have so much faith in this coaching staff that whatever they see fit, I'm not going to go out there and say, oh, those guys, they don't get it. They have no idea what they're doing. I think they earned the right to have that blind trust in them this past season based upon the performances we got from Adam Gaze's kind of leftover, so to speak, and got those guys playing better. Now, of course, there are still players I do not like at all those spots. The first one off the top to me would be Justin Herbert. I think there are major, major red flags in the critical areas you have to have to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. So at pick number five, I'll go Herbert. At 18, I'm going to put Grant Delput in there because I hate the way he pursues. And I think there's a lack of energy to his game on specific reps, like the T. Higgins long touchdown run. He took a horrible angle and then just jogged after the play. I cannot see that flying in Miami. And then at pick 26, you really open up a whole box of worms in terms of players that could be bust at that spot. I'll go ahead and start at running back. I like Jonathan Taylor, but he's not my favorite. And I don't think he's a first round draft pick when you have JK Dobbins and Travis Etienne out there. And even Clyde's Edward Hilaire, who is quickly rising up my board. I've talked about Zach Moss and on and on and on. But the idea is that I don't love Jonathan Taylor in that spot. I also... Cannot stand the thought of C.J. Henderson, another cornerback that doesn't tackle. Want no part of that guy. I think he's a possibility at pick 18 or 26. On the offensive line, Tyler Bayadash. I'll just be real frank with you guys. Bayadash is going to go a lot lower than you expect. Don't expect him to be a first-round pick, but you'll see him mocked there over and over again. So Herbert up top, Grant Delpit, and C.J. Henderson in this middle part of the first round. And then we'll talk about Jonathan Taylor. 
and then Tyler Bayadash on the offensive line. Next question from Kevin Garrard at Kevin Garrard 13. If you draft a receiver, do you see it being a slot guy? We'll just stop there. Yes, absolutely vehemently I do, unless it's later on in the draft where you maybe get more value value from a guy like a Gabriel Davis, for instance, from UCF, or maybe it's Van Jefferson from Florida. One of those guys down the board in the fifth or sixth round that you can just pick because he's good value. But if you go high, like in the second round, it's got to be a Tyler Johnson or a Justin Jefferson. So 100%. Any interest in Duvernay, he asks? 100%. Yeah. I think speed from the slot is the way to go. I reference the Move the Sticks podcast all the time. And Duvernay, he caught my eye back in the season. That guy flat out goes. He can scoot and he can play the slot. And Daniel Jeremiah on the most recent podcast I listened to referenced how back in the day, like eight or nine years ago, the bubble screen craze took over college football. And now what you get are slants and slot fades because you're playing leverage and you're reading the leverage of the defensive back and you just throw slants and slot fades. And Duvernay, the speed from that slot position, the ability to get vertical from that position opens up the entire offense because you have to change the way you play leverage as a defensive back when that slot position takes a vertical route because then you have an in-breaking route behind that usually with the slant from the field receiver from the flanker receiver coming in off that slot fade. It's just tough to defend. So you get speed in that slot, 100% yeah, and nobody's faster than Duvernay in the slot. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back on the other side, talk about the safety draft class, free agency, Miami's incumbents, where they might go at the position, and answer a whole bunch more of your Twitter questions here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I think I've complained a few times on this podcast about the workload that comes with putting the podcast and writing articles for LockedOnDolphins.com, whether it's the lack of content ideas or trying to challenge my creative mind or just the workload I put on myself. But I like to tell you guys in full transparency what I'm thinking when I do this stuff. And when I start these series like the roster building preview series up on LockedOnDolphins.com, It's always exciting at the beginning and then it kind of fizzles in the middle and then I really am really struggling to get through it at the end, but it's always great to finish it and have the whole product. And in this case, this just gave me so much more education about what the Dolphins are heading into this offseason with regards to who might be available, what they have, the cap situation, all the different scenarios they could play out, whether it's free agency or the draft. And today we take our last stop in the series at the safety position. Sorry, Matt Hawk and Jason Sanders and Tabor Pepper. No specialist series this time around. I think that we'll probably replace Tabor Pepper, and I think Hawk and Sanders will be back. That's my prediction. End of that discussion. But we talk about the safeties now, and this has been one of my favorite position groups to look at, whether it's the Dolphins, the draft, the NFL in general, and I've had a good track record in the draft over the last few years, and the Dolphins seem to kind of go away from those players in the draft because... They had issued out two horrendous contracts and the one they gave Rashad Jones, which I get you pay the guy for what he did in the past, but then they inexplicably gave TJ McDonald a whole pile of cash and he's not in the NFL anymore. So tells you how good of a deal that was, but that's why Miami was so hamstrung at the position. But now for the first time, maybe they're not, even though Rashad is owed a bunch of money this year. And I continually repeat this on the podcast, at least 75,000 times by now that the Patriots defense is driven by their safeties. Three players on that defense, three safeties on that defense, I should say, Devin McCourty, Patrick Chung, and Deron Harmon, the guys that have been there forever, have all played 65% or more of the Patriots' defensive snaps this year, and the Dolphins really only have one incumbent that fills one of those roles. 
Eric Rowe is essentially the Patrick Chung of this defense. We'll see where Rashad Jones comes in. We'll see if Bobby McCain goes back to cornerback or not, but the Dolphins have a chance to rebuild this group from the ground up, and they should around this one player, Eric Rowe, the first incumbent. 81 tackles this year, one pick, eight pass breakups, and 23 run stops. We all know he made the switch after the bye week to go to safety. He played 100, or rather 1,071 snaps, 96% of the total. I'm not even going to tell you the pro football focus grade because it's a bunch of BS, to be perfectly honest. After he made the switch to playing more primary box safety, coming down and playing both the strong and weak side C gaps in the run game, covering tight ends, playing the hooks and the flats, getting that huge pick six against the Patriots, he allowed 14 receptions on 20 targets for 193 and two touchdowns as a cornerback through four games. In his new role, 24 catches on 45 targets, 227 yards, and no touchdowns, a 16.7% reduction in completion percentage and a drop in yards per attempt of 4.61. He was rewarded ahead of time with a team-friendly contract. And if he gives you that production again the next two years for that contract, you hit a home run with that signing. Kudos to Chris Greer and company for that one. Then Rashad Jones played 189 snaps, had eight run stops, 27 tackles. We all know what he does at this stage of his career, but Miami are pretty much hamstrung by his contract and have to keep him around. Even though when he's healthy, he can make some incredible plays. He does freelance a little bit too much, and I think that'll get him miscast in this defense. But for the large part, he might be around next year if he wants to play, if he's even healthy, we'll see. But Rashad Jones, his contract might be stuck here next season. And then we have one more guy under contract at this position, again, if you count McCain as a cornerback, and it's Steven Parker, 19 tackles, two picks, three pass breakups, had the best PFF grade, 48th out of the 175 safeties with a 71 grade, don't know how that works, played 338 snaps. And while he did make some big plays for this defense this year, I thought he was a major liability down in the red zone. And that's a big, big position of need for Miami at that spot. A guy that can match up and do some stuff in zone coverage for you once you get down inside the 20-yard line. Unrestricted free agents, Walt Aikens. We all know about him. Not really much of a safety or cornerback on this defense. He's been thrust into duty the last couple of years. But if he wants to come back, it has to be as a special teams captain, a special teams ace. Exclusive rights free agents, Montre Hardage, one of my favorite guys, one of the first guys as I spoke to in training camp. He had seven tackles, one pass breakup, and one run stop. He had a 69.3 PFF grade, played just 98 snaps. He was an all-conference Big Ten cornerback at Northwestern. Cornerback made the position change to safety in training camp and worked his way onto the active roster in December, and I thought he played pretty well down the stretch for the limited time that he did have out on the field. Adrian Colbert, also a restricted free agent, 20 tackles, two pass breakups, two run stops. I thought he missed way too many tackles. I thought his angles were not great, although he played pretty much every snap in December. December, I think Miami has to upgrade that spot and they can do it on a free agent market that is loaded with two exceptional safeties if they hit the market. The first one is the guy, Justin Simmons. And boy, oh boy, this Denver Bronco All-Pro safety can get things done. He snatched multiple interceptions all four years of his career. He broke up 15 passes this last year, had two tackles for a loss and 93 total tackles on the season. He's rangy. He can tackle. He can come down in the box. He played 521 snaps as a free safety. 371 in the box and 154 in the slot. That versatility will have him very high on Brian Flores' radar. He also played at Boston College, which of course is Flores' alma mater there as well. Now the reasonable route, and you could interchange these two guys because they were number two and number three on Pro Football Focus's safety grades. Anthony Harris of the Vikings, they got to find a way to re-sign him, even though they have so much money tied up in that defense, whether it's Xavier Rhodes, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin, Linval Joseph. They are just 
packed to the rim at their salary cap consideration. So maybe Harris does find a way to get free, but just like Simmons, 588 snaps at free safety, 266 in the box and 160 in the slot. Didn't allow a touchdown and picked off seven passes this year. Incredible production from Anthony Harris. He is heralded for his instinctive nature and early recognition of route concepts. He could be the quarterback of this defense and make big plays for you all game long. The sleeper here is Tavon Wilson of the Lions. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast, and he has the versatility as well. He's going to be a much lower buy in terms of the money you have to spend on him. 960 reps last year, 499 were in the box, but as a deep free safety, 157, he played out, out wide and in the slot as well. So those two guys at the top are going to be premier day one signings. Tavon Wilson could be a later free agent addition, but I like their options there. Some other notable free agents, Von Bell, I doubt he gets free, but man, he can play some ball. If Devin McCourty wants to keep playing, I doubt he will once he leaves the Patriots. I would think about that even though he's 33. The guy can still play. Rodney McLeod from the Eagles, Jimmy Ward, Carl Joseph, Nate Ebner could be a special teams ad from the Patriots. Jordan Lucas and Clayton Gethers are also out there and available. Then we turn to the draft, and my favorite player in this entire draft, besides Isaiah Simmons and Tua Tungavailoa, of course, is Antoine Winfield Jr., the Minnesota safety. He is smart, quick, instinctive, ball skills, fundamentally sound tackler, sticky in man coverage. He is the quintessential Brian Flores defensive back, and by now you guys know that Coach has raved about his father, Antoine Winfield Sr., and frankly, Winfield created another version of himself who's even better. He does it all. He can blitz the edge just as well as he can fall off and cover the deep third. He had seven picks this year for Minnesota, a big time uh, playmaker and ball hawk for that gopher defense. The more reasonable route here is Ashton Davis and Flores loves himself a good story and Davis was a walk-on to now potential first round draft pick, ultimate temperature changer, his mindset and work ethic latch on to the rest of the locker room like an infectious disease. It's, It's incredible to see it have the impact it does. He has outrageous range and he pairs that with a hundred mile an hour trigger that he pulls on the running game. He's not the best tackler, but he will arrive and hit with a 100 mile an hour force. He has a knack for just finding the passing lane or cutting down ball carriers in the open field. And that range is paired with elite processing skill. I think this guy could be a first round pick, if not for pick 39 for the Miami Dolphins. And my sleeper talked about him a lot too. Julian Blackman, two-time All-Pac-12 cornerback, switched to safety this last year and did not miss a beat. He was back deep off the ball, came down in the box a few times, had one and a half sacks and two fumbles forced this last season. The first of each of those stats in his entire career, but the range and the ball skills are what made the position change possible. He nearly doubled his career total this season with four interceptions, but to play at the next level, going to have to add some weight to that frame. There might be some growing pains with some nuances at the position, like his angles particularly, but the versatility he has in that spot will rank highly on Miami's board. My top 10 safeties, Antoine Winfield and Xavier McKinney, and then after those two guys, there's a pretty decent drop-off. Ashton Davis is three, Grant Delpit is four, Shaheem Carter from Alabama is five, Julian Blackman six, Brandon Jones of Texas, 7, J.R. Reed from Georgia, 8, Kayvon Wallace, 9, and Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. You'll see him at the Senior Bowl. He comes in at number 10. I saw a little bit of footage of him, and I'm very, very intrigued. But this position has been my coup de grace the last few years. Derwin James, Buda Baker, Darnell Savage, Juan Thornhill, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. This is my wheelhouse, and I think that there are two elite safeties on the free agency market, two elite safeties in the draft class, and even more scheme fits down the road in both free agency and the draft. The big decision on Rashad Jones could change things here. Can they find someone to take on that contract next year? Hopefully, if they can, they can rebuild this entire safety room. My prediction, 
Justin Simmons, the big free agent signing, the Boston College alumni there with Flores. Eric Rowe, a number two safety with another 100% snaps for him. Number three, Ashton Davis. We go back into the draft and get another one. Number four, another rookie, Julian Blackman, probably on day three. And then Walt Aikens gets re-signed for a free agent deal to be a special teams ace. So Simmons, Rowe, Davis, and Blackman, my safeties next year. Go check out all these articles, LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm sure those predictions will change as the offseason goes along, but it gives you an idea of what you could be looking at for your 2020 Miami Dolphins football team. And before we jump into the Twitter mailbag and get to the rest of your questions, I want to tell you guys about DraftKings. Can you believe it's conference championship week? Time's up for two of the teams playing this weekend, but you still have time to feed your fantasy football fix with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Personally, I think Patrick Mahomes is going to mow down the competition the rest of the way. I think he and the Chiefs offense are going to steamroll both the Titans and the team they play in the Super Bowl. But for you, you draft your lineup and you feel the sweat like never before. Every run, every throw and catch means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game quite like having a free shot at over $750,000 with your first deposit. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's some extra cash to play with throughout the playoffs. Download the DraftKings app now and use code Locked On for a limited time. Both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500 on your next deposit. New users, be sure to enter code Locked On during signup and you'll get a free shot at over three quarters of a million dollars with your first deposit. That's code Locked On and you can get a deposit bonus up to 500 bucks only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. We got one more segment here on the week before we get into senior bowl prep work on next week's podcast. Looking to get Kevin Duren on the show as well to talk some defensive football and what the Dolphins defense might look like next year under Josh Boyer. Now that Patrick Graham is gone and Brian Flores has one of his Patriots lackeys to help him run the defense. Let's now get back into the Twitter mailbag. I put the call out on Twitter. You guys respond with the questions. I get as many of them as I can in on the podcast. This one from John Krantz at I hate John Krantz. It looks like Derek Wolf might not be getting a new deal in Denver. How interested do you think Miami should be in his services? I think he's a great candidate for one of those big base five techniques that can condense inside. However, the injury concerns from his career, doesn't he have like a serious neck injury or something like that that was a really impactful at some point in his career? That would be the only thing I worry about going forward for him. Next question from D. Wildemuth at D. Wildemuth on Twitter. Do you think Miami look at Howard as a potential trade value with Detroit to trade up for Tua? I mean, it's possible. I think Brian Flores loves Xavier Howard so much that he wants to build this defense around him. I think that was the idea with the contract extension. Let's make this guy the Stephon Gilmore of the defense. And then without him, you probably would have to go after a Jeffrey Okuda or a Christian Fulton or a Jeff Gladney or whoever it might be very high up in the draft. But again, at all costs, get your quarterback but I think that Xavier Howard's worth two first-round picks. If Jalen Ramsey is, then I think Howard is. And I don't feel comfortable trading that many first-round picks to go up that high. So I would look for other alternatives and keep the best defensive back they have on the roster right now. 
Next question here from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97. Hey, Travis, how's the baby and future mom doing? And also, how's the kid with the cape? Well, the cape guy, first of all, he wasn't a kid. He was my age. He was in his 30s, which he later confessed to the class, which makes it even better. And as far as Mrs. Wingfield and little Caroline Wingfield coming here soon, they're both doing great. The baby is a little bit undersized, but that's probably a given, given the fact that I'm not the biggest dude in the world. But she's doing great. She's feeling healthy, but she's just a little bit uncomfortable. I can't imagine what it's like to have an extra five pounds in your belly, and it's only going to get worse from here. So a little uncomfortable, but everyone's good and healthy. Next one from Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one. Do all the coaching changes mean a shift in priority in the types of players the Dolphins will look at in free agency and the draft, for example? was Miami targeting different types of players in a Chad O'Shea offense versus a Chan Gailey offense? Great question. And one that I actually was tweeting today about the linebackers coach Campanelli and the same theme continues to pop up with all these guys is they have such diverse backgrounds, not just in the positions they coached, which is on the offensive side, on the defensive side, in analytics, coordinating a run game or a pass game or a defensive pass or run game, but also the levels at which they coached high school, college, and the NFL, because this guy has call or high school experience as well. And I think that's very intriguing because the best coaches don't shun the ideas of innovation coming into the NFL that maybe wasn't there before. And I heard this tidbit from Bill Belichick or some secondhand report of a Bill Belichick idea. Might have been the Do Your Job documentary, I forget. But the idea was that so many coaches have such an ego and have such a belief that my way or the highway, man, I got here because I know football and nobody can teach me anything. In fact, I'll never forget at training camp last year, someone in the media said, there, you know me, I don't believe anybody can teach me anything about football. And I thought, wow, that's an unfortunate thing for your audience because you can always learn about football. I'm constantly learning about this game. And so for coaches to say that, that just basically robs them of more avenues to improve themselves and their football teams. But Belichick takes ideas from anybody. You'll see him go to Wesleyan and get ideas from a college football program that doesn't even play, you know, high level competitive football. He'll take ideas from high school. He'll take ideas from Nick Saban, obviously, as one of his main guys he goes to. And Flores operates in the same way. Like he's always looking for ways to improve his team and to find new innovative ideas to bring onto his staff and onto his scheme. And I think that's what we're doing here. I, I don't have any knowledge of this. It's just my speculation. I think they're gathering so much knowledge from different areas they can pull from, different perspectives, and they're going to conglomerate one just new offense that we haven't seen maybe with the Dolphins last year or even in the NFL before. Maybe I'm way off on that, but I think there's a lot of opportunity here for innovation in the future. So to answer your question in one word, yes, I think there'll be a big difference in the players they look for. And frankly, I'm not quite sure what that prototype looks like for the scheme. And if I don't know the person that spends all day, every day, then who else is going to know it? Could be a good thing. Maybe it blows up. Who knows? We'll see. Next question here from Finn1984 at Gareth underscore Mellon. Are these Flores hires of college coaches a sign he wants more of the fundamentals taught? Each of these guys have been around the block in terms of how they go about their different position rooms. And the one thing you can look at in every single one of those rooms is yes, they were teachers of those rooms and developed players from nothing into something. We talked about the pro players that came out of Boston College and Rutgers. 
under Campanelli. We talked about Robbie Brown's connection to NFL players. We talked about Austin Clark getting the five-star recruit from USC, taking him to Illinois and getting production out of him, who now will play in the NFL. So 100% fundamentals, teaching, football coach, whistle around the neck, going from drill to drill, making sure guys are doing things the right way. And I can't wait to see training camp this year because last year it was all fundamental install. Like there was barely any team period. They would do a individual drill and they would come back and rep as a team through ball security or defeating blocks. It was boring for the casual fan. I loved it. Thought it was fascinating, but I can't wait to see what they do this year. If it's the same idea or maybe they take it up a notch and go back to more team periods. We'll see, but I cannot wait. Okay, we're short on time, but I want to get to a couple more of these questions here. This one from Wall Street Unicorn at Wall Street Unicorn. What do you pay to go from five to three to get Tua? The draft chart says 600 points, which is exactly the 39th pick. We've talked about that, but the talk is more than that. What do you pay? Well, first of all, the talk is talk from people that have no idea about the situation. So let's just go ahead and leave the speculation behind. Like that Joe Burrow proposal we saw on Thursday, like, come on, man. Like, I get you got to get clicks for your website, but let's relax on that. I think probably the 26th pick is probably what gets it done and probably what I would be willing to pay. I'd rather go two second round picks to get up two spots because the Lions can still get their guy and you have to call their bluff at some point. So my offer is two seconds, pick 39, maybe a second round pick next year from the Texans. And if they really turn that down, I'll be willing to go up to the 26th pick with the fifth pick to get up there. This one from Meyer Goldberg at Rave Big Nasty on Twitter. Does Gailey's spread offense signify the end of Chandler Cox in a Finns uniform? I don't think so because I think they want to be adaptable. They want to be able to go from 21 personnel one week to empty the next week. So whether it's Chandler Cox or another fullback, I'm not sure, but I think they will have use for a fullback in the system. Next question from Big Humble at David O'Haver. On this week's Audible, they said the hiring of Chan Gailey was to simplify the offense. Does this mean we could be starting Josh Rosen for a tank for Trevor season? I like the first part of your question because that makes a lot of sense. The Patriots style offense was based on so many site adjustments and getting guys to really play their best game because of their smarts at the position and not relying so much on the physical prowess. And you look at this roster, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, those guys are kind of uncoverable out there. Albert Wilson can shake guys in the slot. So maybe we just give it more emphasis on their athletic ability over the side adjustment and smarts of the quarterback and go that way. And then the second part of the question about Josh Rosen, I'll say it again a million times. He's not going to be your quarterback next year, starter or backup. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, that was a really fun podcast. You guys brought the noise on those questions. I might get back into that thread and answer your questions written on Twitter tomorrow at some point, so keep an eye out for that. But as for this week's shows, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. Enjoy championship weekend. We'll be back tomorrow, Sunday, for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. I'm taking the Chiefs and the Niners.